You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Caitlin, mm-hmm. I just wish that Jamie got her miracle. <laughs> Are you talking about you, Jamie? I'm talking about... Or... I'm talking about Jamie, Jamie Sullivan. Jamie, you know, the one with the brown hair. <laughs> okay, so you... I hope that she got her miracle. I hope that Jamie got her miracle too. And I'm talking about you specifically. Well, she did. It's you. <gasps> I'm your miracle. <laughs> oh my God. I, this, hmm. I liked, okay. Of all the, there's so many corny moments in a walk to remember, which is today's episode. And we'll get to what this show is in a second. But I really, some of the like flourish of bad writing where there's like moments in this movie where the line is like, okay, that's like corny, but it's not bad. But then they'll add more to the line and it gets worse. Mm. Like they mm-hmm. could, the, the priest should have just said she did, but then he says she did dot, dot, dot. And like assuming people in the audience are like, what does he mean by that? And he goes, <laughs> it was you. And, mm-hmm. and then Shane West goes, oh it was me it was me okay it was me and that's why i'm never gonna stop going to church mm-hmm. welcome to the bechdel cast aka church uh my name's jamie <laughs> the bechdel church welcome to the bechdel church oh god <laughs> just for just for one week only Welcome to the Bechdel Church. Mm-hmm. My name's Jamie Loftus. <laughs> My name is Caitlin Durante. And this is our little podcast where we, we talk about your favorite and uh, least favorite and also other movies using an intersectional feminist lens. And we use the Bechdel test as a jumping off point. It initiates a larger conversation that we'll have. Mm-hmm. And the Bechdel test, of course, is a media metric mm-hmm. created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel. 
uh, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. Mm -hmm. Our variation on the test requires that two people of any marginalized gender have names, speak to each other Mm -hmm. about something other than a man for ideally it's a meaningful narratively relevant conversation yeah which which does come into play with this movie in particular where not to blow it but (laughs) there are women do speak to each other in this movie but it's never very important it's not very (laughs) important when they're talking unless i mean they're bullying mandy moore most of the time women are talking to each other they're like mandy moore sucks and then the other girl's like i know i hate her sweater and you're like i guess that's sort of narratively it's relevant i suppose it is it's relevant because but also for some reason bullying doesn't affect jamie because jamie's are famously impervious to bullies (laughs) i know this from experience having constantly tried to bully you and it never works i always just go i do what mandy moore does i guess i go They're so mature. They they need God. That's what I do whenever someone tries to bully me. I say, you should come to my dad's church sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're doing a walk to remember today, and we have an incredible guest. That's right. She is a comedy producer. You can see her stuff at nakedcomedy.org. It's Sam Varela. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to me. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything either, but I do have to say, I think... I think there was one instance of the bully of the of Jamie being cracked by the bullying, which might also be something relative to the name of this podcast. That's true. That is true. There, because Belinda, I believe this movie. <laughs> this movie is so like it's just like Belinda. bizarre in so many ways. Where I, it's the book takes place in the 1950s. The movie takes place allegedly in the 1990s, but it seems like it's. Still, everyone still looks like it's the 1950s. Everyone's still dressed like <laughs> greasers, but they have Missy Elliott CDs. It was really bizarre. But yeah, there is there was a Bechdel test passed where Belinda says, "Want a Tic Tac?" and Jamie says, "No, thanks." Like, there it is. Right. <laughs> there it is. If you argue that's not impactful, I have a whole essay. <laughs> I completely, this is one of those movies that I just simply forgot to pay attention to whether or not it passes the Bechdel test, (laughs) but I do remember that exchange and it's, it's crucial to understanding the film. Right before some very 2002 Photoshop bullying, which is (laughs) one, which is one of the main, which I think is one of, again, one of the only things that firmly roots that movie in the late 90s because I swear to God like I think most of the movie could convincingly take place in any year in the second half of of any decade of the 20th century except they have Photoshop and they have switch foot and they have like (laughs) that's about it right oh my gosh well I'm this movie I'm I'm gonna this is gonna be a challenge uh Sam, what is your history with A Walk to Remember? Well, I have a very particular history. That is that I, this movie, I think, was one of my first boyfriend's favorite movies. I think he was the one Mm. that brought it to me, brought it to the table. Mm. And, you know, in high school, seduction 
classic move, I, of course, memorized Only Hope and sang it, I think, a few times, you know, to get in the mood. Whoa. Wait. (laughs) It's very complicated. I have a complicated uh, romantic past, but um, (laughs) definitely on the rewatch, you know, toxic romance definitely made Mm -hmm. a lot more sense to my personal connection to this movie. So you would sing, wait, how does the song go? (laughs) And I hold my hands and I lift my hands and pray to be only yours. I pray to be only yours. I know now you're my only Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Beautiful. If I ever had an SNL audition, it would be that one song because I memorized <laughs> it that. Like, I, I've taken singing lessons since and tried to learn to sing that song. And they're like pointing out the issues. I'm like, but that's how Mandy Moore sings it. That's how I know how to sing it. Mm. That is the beauty of Mandy Moore in many ways, where she was a pop star who was not necessarily a great singer but she was like a solid high school soprano so her songs are like not hard to sing if you were in choir <laughs> like yeah. anyone in choir can sing Mandy Moore's entire discography no problem yeah. mm. though I didn't know till this watch and my you know subsequential obsession of googling a bunch of stuff I didn't know that the I didn't know the Switchfoot story and I didn't know this was originally a Switchfoot song which really blew my mind. It sounds weird if you wait. <laughs> yeah, you would guess it's the other way around. They're covering yeah. her, but no, no, she's covering them. Who is Switchfoot? Switch. <laughs> what is that? Are they of like for real Christian band or are so they? I this was one of my googles. Mm, okay, so please. they have come out as they are Christian in faith, not in format. They are not. Ooh. They do not consider themselves Christian music, but. It's highly debated online. but Faith not in format. Wow, that's yes. good dodgy language. I like that. <laughs> but I guess Mandy Moore was obsessed with them and turned the music supervisor of this production onto them. And they were like, we got to have Switchfoot. This is the sound of the movie. So there's like four or five songs from Switchfoot on the soundtrack, which... Uh, in an interview that I watched, again, I went real deep. Shane West said it might have gone platinum, the album for this. I don't know if that's true. I could not oh my confirm. God. Um, but yeah, so I guess Only Hope was a song that they had written even before the movie. This was just a song of theirs. And they were like, uh-huh. that's her song for the movie. So at least if you hear a man singing it, it does read more Christian than in this movie where it is like some sort of sexual power play song. Mm. <laughs> also, the song gets performed in its entirety in the movie during a high school production okay. of like 20s mobster. <laughs> what is that play about? <laughs> What's going on in that play? Why would you sing that at a nightclub? <laughs> right. I, w- I went back to like rewatch the setup for that scene and I still can't make heads or tails of what sets up that song or why this mobster would be her only hope. Um, I <laughs> He was trying to remember a dream and then he got shocked by her body and then he just was like the song you must sing for me yeah blew my mind (laughs) doesn't make any 
sense. I don't know what the play is about. There's a really long montage also where they're rehearsing for the play that's like edited in a way where you're like, what (laughs) on earth am I watching? So yeah, the play is confusing. Okay, so Sam, you have a you have a maybe a torrid history with this <laughs> film. <laughs> Jamie, what's your relationship and history with it? Um, it's not quite that level, but it's pretty intense. Where this, I I loved this movie when I was a kid. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but there, I remember my cousin telling me, which is in retrospect, I was like, this was not nice. She was like. <laughs> She's like, Mandy Moore is in a movie and she has your name and she has the same color hair as you. You have to see it. What she did not say is that she dies. There is so <laughs> so she and so I guess if you haven't seen a walk to remember, Mandy Moore famously dies in the movie. But I Spoiler. but I remember like going to the movie not being like whatever, like nine, not realizing that Mandy Moore was doomed and being like oh my god this is so me I'm not like the other girls my name's Jamie I have brown hair and then in the like when it becomes clear that she's doomed I was like this sucks no one's ever no one's and then I like really turned on the movie hard I was like why would you have why would this be the only movie character named after me and then she dies (laughs) that said I really I, I've seen this movie I haven't seen it in easily 10 years but I saw it a lot when I was younger it's mm-hmm. like ooh, I, I really lo- I feel like this movie I was like not raised particularly religious at all like we went to ch- church but it just felt like I don't know it was mm-hmm. I didn't grow up especially religious and once I was like 12 we just were like well I feel like we've done the whole religion thing and we left (laughs) but this was uh as close to (laughs) being religious as I ever got was being like a walk to remember (laughs) is a really powerful story you know like it I really love I had a huge crush on Mandy Moore and Shane West Mm -hmm. and I just oh I real and oh oh the other thing about this movie was that when I was little I had like a one of those pull out of a magazine posters of Mandy Moore and I forget mm-hmm. I feel like I might have brought this up on the show years ago but I had this poster of Mandy Moore hanging in my room and I thought that she could see me and watch me and I was so <laughs> scared of the poster so this would be in that time too where I was okay. like I was I loved Mandy Moore and I wanted her on my wall, but I also was really scared of her because I thought she knew what I what I was doing. <laughs> Amazing. And so eventually my mom took the poster down and I got mad, but she was just like, let's end this. Mandy Moore can't see you. <laughs> it was it must have been one of those like bizarre pictures where it just like it I felt like the eyes were following me. That oh, was sure. the thing. It was like a Mona Lisa kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> so Mandy Moore is my Mona Lisa. Wow. That's my history with the movie. <laughs> Caitlin, what's your history with A Walk to Remember? I don't have an extensive one. This movie came out when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, sometime around then. So I was like peak demographic for this movie. But this was also when I was very firmly like, I don't like girl things. No, thanks. (laughs) So this movie came out and it was a huge hit among my friends. 
and I saw it because of that. Probably it's like a sleepover or just, I don't know, we were hanging out and we watched it and I was like, this movie is not for me. Uh, and that was really the only time I saw it. Heart of stone. <laughs> uh. I am my, truly my heart is a lump of coal in my chest and I have no feelings. I'm sure I was like moved by it, but I don't know. I, this, I don't, it, that's my history with it that I was like, okay, this movie exists. I'll watch it once in 2002 and then never again. <laughs> so, uh, but watching it back was interesting. And I will say that it is, while it still has its issues, it's less full of issues than I thought it would be for a teen movie that comes out in 2002. I would agree with that. Yeah, it it held up better than I was expecting, which isn't to say that it super holds up, but it for what it was, where of like, ooh, Christian-y teen movie, Nicholas Sparks, early 2000s, mm-hmm. you would think that it would be much worse than it actually did. I think this is my right. favorite of the Nicholas Sparks adaptations I've seen. This remains my favorite one. I um, took it upon myself to just... Here's what I'll suggest the listeners do. Google Nicholas Sparks movies. <laughs> and I think like 11 different things come up because he's Bunch. had many adaptations of his novels into movies. And all of the posters will just like be right there in front of you all side by side. Every poster is identical. <laughs> Wait, this is is funny. You can also Google the Nicholas Sparks collection that just has all four, has like four matching posters as its DVD cover. (laughs) Two straight white people with their heads really close together. Yes. Either facing away from each other or facing toward each other. Like some of them, they're like (laughs) face to face. Other ones, like the man is behind the woman. They're all in some kind of like warm pink or yellow a lot of heads are being grabbed too (laughs) a lot of grabbing of heads richard Gere is grabbing diane lane's head (laughs) for knights of rodanthe he's like like a real vice yeah same thing with safe haven which is i think josh dumel and then i don't know who the lady who the woman is in it i don't know what half of these are yeah i don't know safe haven i don't know the best of me i don't know the lucky one i don't know the longest ride (laughs) these are so many i've seen the lucky one because i will watch anything that zach efron is in do you guys know if the other nicholas sparks movies are as religious i couldn't get a clear answer on the internet i think not really because i've i've seen probably half of these and the only one i've seen multiple times is the notebook and now a walk to remember but of the other ones i think they're not the religious over or undertones are not quite there the way they are in a walk to remember at least for the ones i've seen i kind of wonder where that comes from like yeah because i don't i i might have read the book when i was in like junior high or something i don't remember anything about it i know a lot was changed but i wonder if like the book is as like bonking you with the like have faith in people message yeah because i know that she was religious the person it's based off of Mm -hmm. and she did have a bible she gave away kind of thing but I, mm-hmm. I tried all the Googles. I couldn't find anything to be like, why is this movie so not just religious, but like like it's hammering you with the moral elements of religion. I was like, who paid for this? Like, what right, yeah. is happening? Well, I did a light Google of 
Nicholas Sparks and his life to see if there's been anything of note. And it seems like he personally is quite religious and founded a Christian school, which tried to form an LGBTQ club, which he then tried to ban. No, Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. uh And then students were protesting that and then he banned the protests (laughs) of it. So like he... You can't ban protests? What is it? (laughs) Did you see his quote about it? Yeah. It was so upsetting. (laughs) Oh my God. And then sometime later he backtracked on all this and he's like, no, wait, I'm an ally. And the reason that my school has no diversity in it doesn't have anything to do with the school. It's these other flimsy reasons. So he was like saying all this problematic stuff in like, I don't know, 2013 or something. And then he's walked it all back and been like, no, 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 I'm actually an ally. Please let me still have a career. Right. (laughs) But did you see the quote where he was like, we don't need this. He was the reason he he said the reason he banned those organizations was because essentially it was we don't need these out in the open. These kind of clubs, like there have always been gays in Catholicism. They just handled it more delicately, and like that was his stance on it. Was like stay in the closet and we'll all get along. Yikes! That's such horseshit. Especially because it's like this. This movie is directed by an openly gay man who was openly gay at the time the movie was directed. I believe. Like it's like, oh god, that's so. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that Nicholas Sparks fucking sucks, but I did not know that uh, portion of his life. That's mm. horrible. Yeah, his his history isn't great, but now he's an ally, so everything's <laughs> fine. All's well that ends well. We just need a movie poster of like a same-sex couple holding their heads. Yeah, we need yeah. we need someone grabbing someone else's head. <laughs> Um, but it's a queer movie this time. Mm-hmm. That'll fix everything. That will, that will fix everything. <laughs> you know what would really fix everything? If we gave Nicholas Sparks more money. I think that would fix mm-hmm. everything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break and then come back and do the recap? Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. 
join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Okay. All right. Shall we, shall we get into it? Let's get into it. So we meet Landon Carter. That's Shane West. He's with his friends who are these like popular kids who are mean. And Landon gets in trouble after a classmate of theirs gets hurt because of a prank all the popular kids pulled on him. Brutal. Just a quick, quick reminder at the top. Shane West is a stage name. Shane West's actual name is Shannon Bruce Snaith. <laughs> I did not know that. It's one of my favorite <laughs> celebrity uh, facts is his mm. name is Shannon Snaith. And so they were like, that's not going to work. We need. I think it would be fun if he was just allowed to be Sh- Shannon Snaith. I also think... I wonder if anyone else picked up on this or if I'm just being tall girl syndrome. I also (laughs) think that Shane West is shorter than Mandy Moore. His height fluctuates throughout the movie. And I think that the movie does not like the movie's very rigid in its values. And I think that they also must have said, we can't have a male lead who is shorter than our female lead (laughs) due to societal pressures. Mm -hmm. Because Mandy Moore is 5'10". Shane West is six feet allegedly but (laughs) but that's impossible because he's shorter than her in any scene where you can see his feet he is shorter than her Uh any scene where you cannot see his feet he is taller than her meaning that he's wearing some sort of acting shoe (laughs) acting shoes or they they stuck him on like an apple box is that what those are called yeah i want to go rewatch the dance scene the da- it's mm. the dance scene where it's most obvious because she's teaching him how to dance and you're like, oh, he's shorter than her. I never see that in movies. Why didn't I notice that? And then it cuts to the next scene and he's taller than her in the next scene. And I was like, mm. why can't men just be 5'7 sometimes? It's fine. Relax. <laughs> Jeez. Also, I'm sorry. I have so many deep dive facts, but please. fun fact, along with other parts of the set, a lot of the sets were from like Dawson's Creek and other highly popular areas. It was a filming mm-hmm. zone. But so whatever that water basin was that they did this uh, first prank at, yeah. um, apparently it was full of like algae and eels. <gasps> and they had scuba divers 
clearing the water for the stunt. Wow. So just, like, just to put us in Shane West and whoever that guy's name's head, yeah. they're diving and swimming in eels. They're belly flopping straight into an eel. Holy. <laughs> wow. That <laughs> is dangerous. Once you, I, I did know about the Dawson's Creek stuff. And like once you, I I watched two seasons of that when I was sick, like two years mm-hmm. ago. And once you know it's the same high school, you can't unsee it. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. I've I've seen drama in these halls before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so then we meet Jamie Sullivan, who is Mandy Moore. She's very religious. Her father is a reverend. She sings in the church choir. The whole thing. Mm-hmm. She is also not popular unlike Landon Carter and she gets mocked by Landon's friends because she's not stylish and she wears the same sweater every day which is also for another that was from the real person okay so the real person is based off of Nicholas Sparks's sister right yes yes Mm -hmm. who in my favorite power move never read his book (laughs) (laughs) it did yeah she said she didn't want to know how it ended, which I feel like he took as a sweet sentiment and I took as a burn. <laughs> She's just like, um, look, I've only got so much time and I'm not wasting it. Yeah, her, her, I, I thought it was, I didn't realize, I think this was my first time realizing that it was at least based on a true story. But there are deviations where I believe his sister was 30 when she passed away. Yeah, she was mm. 33. And then in the book, I guess that it's not specified that Jamie dies, that it's just, it says, this is what the Wikipedia page says. Uh I'm like, I don't really know what this means, but it said that it is ambiguous whether Jamie died or simply disappeared into the shadow world. Now, I don't know what... (laughs) Hang on. Wait, wait. Hang on now. So... That is not unlike the ending of Titanic. Right? Where Rose... Was it a dream? (laughs) The Shadow World. I did, in fact, make some notes about the similarities between this movie and Titanic. (gasps) Amazing. Spoiler, Switchfoot says the word Titanic. Yes. They do. (laughs) They do. Amazing. I have some parallels I would like to draw between A Walk to Remember and another movie, which I will will reveal, I guess, now. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) There's no reason to hold back any longer. Okay, I don't know if anyone else noticed this or thought this, but the way Shane West looks in this movie, to me, is identical to the way Robert Pattinson looks in Twilight. He looks exactly like Edward Cullen to me. Yeah, I get, I see it, I see it. For him to, like, notice this pale brown haired bookish girl be really mean to her at first and then be like hey maybe we could be friends and then they start dating and fall in love except that's basically twilight jamie sullivan i i will say in defense of jamie sullivan she at least has some semblance of a backbone unlike bella swan (laughs) who just does whatever edward cullen tells her to do at least jamie sullivan's like no you can't be my secret friend right get out of here yeah true (laughs) so i was like good for her most movies in 2002 were not doing that Mm. that's true they'd be like okay we can be friends just as a secret like fuck you shane west (laughs) 
but I was the whole both times I rewatched this movie to prep for this episode I was like oh my gosh am I just watching Edward Cullen right now the resemblance is (laughs) simply uncanny true I see it anyway so because Landon has gotten in trouble for this prank he has to do a bunch of community service which includes tutoring underprivileged students at a nearby school yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, yep yeah the coding there is uh yikes and then also he has to participate in the school play which he gets cast as like the lead of and i'm just like (laughs) okay you know when you're in trouble with the law and your punishment is to be the lead in a high school theater production which also (laughs) like Aside from the fact that that is completely absurd and like (laughs) it just makes no sense. On top of that, that sucks for all the theater kids who were were told in the first scene is like, oh, they're really into it. Like, it's not like they're desperate for people to audition for this part. There's a room full of people (laughs) who want this part. And they're like, no, Shane West, you have to do a really bad job as punishment. (laughs) Like, why does everyone need to suffer through Shannon Snaith's acting because of, <laughs> like he committed a crime. He also committed a crime. Right. Uh. Didn't you guys have that um, drama teacher who she like cast her children as all the stars? I feel like it's not that uncommon for school the- high school theater to be corrupted by those in power. I had we had a uh, like our our high school drama instructor would like cast football players to like. <laughs> try to get oh, them like interested in, in the art yeah yeah i yeah. mean like that that is like definitely uh, at least in my experience something that happened that's jamie that is what happened in this movie right right they're just like oh jocks you get to cut the line in every area of life apparently and it's like well okay i guess the rest of us will just die i i like that in the play mandy moore is wearing a prom dress underneath a trench coat <laughs> what an interesting reveal that wasn't a trench coat. That was like a cult coat. <laughs> that was a like... cloaked, like weird ass culty cloak. <laughs> and underneath it is like a 2002 prom dress. And you're just like, all right. Oh, gosh. So Jamie is also involved in these activities. So she and Landon keep running into each other. And one day she gives him a ride home after the school play rehearsal. She tells him about this to-do list that she has, uh, but she won't tell him what number one on the list is. (laughs) Then he wants her to help him run lines for the play. And she's like, okay, I'll help. But you have to promise not to fall in love with me. Oh, my God. Okay, that... (laughs) That really sent me back because I think that that was the first time I'd ever heard that line in a movie, even though it's in so many movies and it's the funniest thing anyone can say to another person. Because how many, if people have said that in real life, how many times has the other person actually been interested in them? I feel like zero. Oh, that's going to be a really funny bit that I'm going to start doing where a friend's just like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Do you want to go get coffee? And I'll be like, "Okay, but you have to promise not to fall in love with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. She said there are parts of JV's character that I don't like dislike, but they feel a little dissonant where she's like made out to be like, oh, she's like a misfit, but she acts with such confidence in moments like that (laughs) where I'm like this is cool girl shit like what's going on Mm. we're like I feel like the like uncool girl at school doesn't say 
you have to promise not to fall in love with me. Right. But I appreciate that she does. She takes a stand for all uncool girls. And I'm sure that (laughs) at least one person who saw that movie who wasn't cool then said that at school and humiliated themselves. So (laughs) (laughs) I know that they made a really big effort to avoid like some character tropes, um, (laughs) specifically the glasses. They insisted no glasses and i feel like her sweater yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) i just feel like her charisma is like the taking off of the glasses like whenever she turned whenever she's like unusually flirty for this like bible girl Mm -hmm. it's like okay that's the glasses coming off right and i don't Mm -hmm. dislike that she is confident in herself it just like i guess maybe i was just like oh i wouldn't have expected like the least cool girl at school to be like fuck you and then or like (laughs) or like on the date where she they have that like erotic temporary tattoo moment that i totally forgot about like like, titanic hot car scene hot (gasps) true christian version of the titanic scene (laughs) where they're like it's temporary it's temporary he's gonna Mm -hmm. blow on it but he's not touching her. When he blows on it, it's hot. It is hot when he blows on the temporary <laughs> tattoo. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so she's like, don't fall in love with me. And he's like, Psh, <laughs> yeah, right. That won't be a problem. And then they start running lines together at her house. Her dad, by the way, does not like this Landon fellow. No. Um. Also, isn't it? It's Peter Coyote, too. <laughs> yes who i like sometimes learn who that is and then i promptly forget he's an iconic i feel like he's he has that experience a lot he's just a famous character actor he is in et he's in he's in a lot of shit he's in aaron brockovich he's in all sorts of shit and then you see him you're like oh that guy anyways (laughs) Also, Landon's mom is played oh by God. Daryl Hannah. In the worst wig I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> by the way. You read the Wikipedia. You saw the savage commentary on her. Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> Wait, about her, that she got like lip injections and yeah. that whole thing. And she yeah. wears a wig. They're really <laughs> focused on her wig. Yeah. They really, well, because it's, I saw like a bunch of different explanations for that. I thought, I like, what my takeaway was that they the wig was bad, but I guess that she was so like famously blonde that they're like, I guess they made a lot of famous blonde women into brunettes in this movie because brunette equals dramatic turn <laughs> 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 or it did in 2002. Brunette equals agency. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Brunette equals a uh, little, little more serious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... Jamie and Landon are hanging out. They're running lines together. It seems like maybe they could be friends. But then he's a jerk to her at school so that he can seem cool in front of his cool friends. Mm -mm. And Jamie's like, you're a jerk and we cannot be friends. Love that for her. She's really taking a stand. For now. For now. (laughs) (laughs) But then Landon starts to get serious about the school play, about his role as a tutor and then the school play happens jamie aka mandy moore sings that song she's so breathy i love her <laughs> i love her and 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 she loves switchfoot 
and she <laughs> loves switch i've like that's the most teen girl because she's like i think like a rare uh example of a teen girl playing a teenager in a movie even though no one i don't think any of the other teenagers are actual teenagers but mandy moore is mm. yeah no i mean i don't know if you guys are going to mention it later but you know shane west was 23 at the time of filming and Mandy was 17. Yeah, he was like Uh-oh. eight full years older than her. Uh, which is uh, not not great. Uh, good based on what happens next in the story, which is <laughs> they are on stage together in the play and they kiss. And then they kiss a bunch of other times throughout the movie. <laughs> they sure do. But this, but this first kiss uh, is forced because it's not in the play. It's not in the script. It's a surprise kiss. <laughs> yes. Which they had to rehearse on their first day. Oh. Yeah, I and it it seems like Mandy Moore and Mandy Moore has uh I mean she she came out with a bunch of me too stuff uh, a couple of years ago that isn't relevant to the content of this episode but she seems to still be friends with Shane West. I feel like that that's mm-hmm. more of a fault of the production for like putting them in this scenario in the first place. Like that's just especially for a teen actor and then an adult like that's that's just irresponsible on the production's right. part. And they knew that they had crushes on each other and the production knew they had crushes on each other. And he, I don't, uh, again, I didn't see anything about anything, you know, sordid taking place. It's, yeah. they were had a crush on each other. They never dated. Um, and Shane was, you know, teaching her how to act because she didn't know how to act. So it's a little, there's a little, a little weird. There's a little, I, yeah, I read that he taught her what a, what a mark was and how to hit it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> Poor Mandy Moore. She didn't know. I, I guess that this movie was shot before The Princess Diaries because that's like her first credit, but it was shot after. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is, I I like that in the early 2000s, there, Mandy Moore was given us more range than a lot of teen actresses because she played sweet girl and she played bully. Right. Because she's, she's mean and saved and Princess Diaries, but she's an angel from heaven in this movie (laughs) right and then in both saved and a walk to remember she plays a very devout christian character but on two very different ends of a of that spectrum and now she's on a tv show that my mom talks about on the phone all the time that i'm never gonna watch (laughs) this This is is us us. yes (laughs) yeah exactly Okay, so they kiss on stage, and then Landon's like, wait a minute, do I like Jamie? Do I want to be with her? He's breaking the one rule. (laughs) He's falling in love with her, and he wasn't supposed to. But he is a rule breaker. You know, he he's a bad boy. He's canonically a bad boy. He almost kills a student in the first scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but he does go visit him in the hospital and say sorry, so that redeems him question mark um <laughs> even though the student is like not understandably not very receptive to the apology he's like get the fuck out of here i don't know why yeah. i wanted to be your friend you like push me off of a cliff or like whatever <laughs> you push me in- <laughs> into eels into eels <laughs> a bed of eels so yeah jamie is like rejecting him and pushing him away and she's like you don't know how to be a good friend so then he tries harder yeah he gives her a new sweater he stands up for her when his friends play that photoshop related prank on her at school which truly if you haven't seen the movie just like look up that scene because it's (laughs) 
even like even though it's like from a plot standpoint of like oh my god your heart goes out to her and and maybe that would be a horrible thing to happen to you in 2002 but Mm -hmm. if that happened to me now I'd I'd be like uh so what is the joke here (laughs) it's such a bad photoshop it's like I feel it's more embarrassing for the person who photoshopped it than for her 100% (laughs) but I do feel like that scene really captures the like cruel teen laugh that like still haunts me to this day yeah mm-hmm. yeah you run into that in real life oh boy all logic goes out the window you're scarred that's true mm-hmm. yeah so he defends her and stands up for her when this happens and then he asks her out on a date but her dad doesn't let her date so then landon asks her dad permission to take her out which mm-hmm. he relents to so then they go out to dinner they dance. It is revealed that Shane West is shorter than Mandy Moore. No, no, no. We yeah. don't know it in that scene. It's the scene oh, we don't know it in later. That scene. It's after we find out she's sick, and then he says, oh, "Will you teach me to dance?" In that montage, that's where you learn he is he is a couple is, inches shorter than her. Hasn't he asked his mom to teach him how to dance there? Yeah, the dance is before the the because the leukemia reveal is like to me where the movie tonally shifted. Well, sure. Yeah. Once <laughs> once our protagonist is doomed. Um, <laughs> yes. But yeah, I maybe I'm messing up the order. It's whatever in there's a scene in the middle of a montage where she teaches him how to dance and you can see both of their full bodies. And then you're oh, like, okay. oh, he's shorter than her because you can't wear your acting shoes in a full body shot. You're right. Yeah. Because she teaches his mom. He asks his mom to teach him when they later dance on the balcony with no door. Right. 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 Okay. Right. <laughs> the balcony with no door. Yes. It's fa- that's fascinated me for years. I didn't pick up on it. Just like, you're going to make this sickly girl climb out a window to look at her stars. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, the balcony with no doors. I wonder oh if gosh. it's like a, if it's like a, an Aladdin kind of deal where it's just a curtain <laughs> that leads oh. into a room. No, it's it's just four windows. <laughs> they also are looking through a telescope that he builds right in front of her. Like you would think <laughs> that he would have done that as like a surprise gift, but he just like sets up a workshop outside of her house and is like, I love don't look I love it. <laughs> at what I'm doing. This movie is so goofy and corny in so many ways where you just have to like be constantly suspending your logic where there's like one scene where... You find out what Jamie's ambition in life is, which is to like witness a miracle. But you find Mm. out because Shane West happens to be going through the yearbook at home alone. (laughs) Like, why is he doing that? He's just we're we're to believe he's just sitting at home like Tuesday night. Better look through my yearbook. Like, Jamie, I don't want to break your mind Mm -hmm. but um i feel like that might be one of a few instances in this film where traditionally he would then in a real world start jacking off and that can't be alluded to at all (laughs) no he's just like oh plot point (laughs) she wants a miracle does she she wants a (laughs) (laughs) brutal wait i'm gonna uh caitlin as you continue to summarize i'm gonna just just to put my own mind at ease, I'm going to screen cap these uh, these Shane oh, West height discrepancies to share with the class because <laughs> okay, I, good. I swear to God, I swear to God, it's a thing. <laughs> yes, please. 
Um, so meanwhile, they, they go out to dinner, they dance. He helps her knock some stuff off of her to-do list, like to be in two places at once and to get a tattoo. That scene is really sweet. It is pretty nice. It's so corny, but the I remember the two places at once scene really vividly because Mandy Moore gets so excited. She's like, woohoo! Yeah! It's so cute. <laughs> And then they kiss and he tells her he loves her. And she's like, I told you not to fall in love with me. (laughs) And we go, no, he had one job. (laughs) And then her dad is like, Jamie, you have to be fair to him before things get worse. And we're like, huh? What does that mean? Which we find out shortly. But before that, Jamie and Landon stargaze together. And then she tells him the number one thing on her list, which is to get married in the church where her parents got married. And then the big reveal, which is that she tells him that she is sick with leukemia and that she has stopped responding to treatment. The implication being that she does not have long to live. And then he broods for a while. Oh, my gosh. But then he, he goes to his dad. Okay, this scene is just, just story logic wise is mm. so silly where he goes to his he has, of course, because every movie has to be about fathers and sons for some mm-hmm. reason. Yes. <laughs> he has a bad relationship with his dad, who's like a doctor, but he left and it's all very mm-hmm. like vague divorced parents stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes to his dad's house and is like, my girlfriend is is dying of cancer. Can you save her? And his dad's kind of like, well, no, there's not a cure for cancer that's known. And Shane West responds by being like, you were never there for me. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, but these two, these two things are sort of unrelated. You know? Also, his dad's like, I'm not an oncologist. I'm a cardiologist. He's a cardiologist. Like, <laughs> for someone who wants to be a doctor, he, he really fully did not understand anything about medicine at this point. True. It's so funny. That whole scene. Because then it's like a million years of brooding and Shane West driving around in his cool, cool car. Yeah. And it's like, dude, listen, like your dad is not the right kind of doc. Like the situation is still very sad. But like Mm -hmm. of the many things that may be your father's fault, this is not one of them. This is not one of them. (laughs) So, yeah, he's brooding for a while. He's driving around in his Camaro. And then he comes back around and he's like, Jamie, baby, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. And then one day she collapses and is rushed to the hospital Mm -hmm. and Landon stays by her side until she's able to go home because Landon's dad arranges to pay for her private home care. Which is really nice. And I guess a more Mm. realistic thing that he can do instead of... (laughs) Knowing the cure for cancer that doesn't exist. (laughs) I forgot about that plot point and I liked it. I thought that was very nice. But I also feel like that whole dad plot line, like, I don't really care about it at all. Except for Mm. the moment where at the wedding that's about to happen, the the way that his dad looks at him at his wedding is so... (laughs) He looks like he's about to burst into tears. I'm like, I don't even know who this man is. Like, what am I looking at? Yeah. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of (laughs) Well, so so then, uh, what's his name? Landon asks Jamie to marry him so that she can accomplish the number one thing on her list. So they get married. 
And then Landon's voiceover explains that they have a beautiful summer together and that she passes away a few months after their wedding. And then we get a flash forward to four years later where Landon pays a visit to Jamie's father. He has gotten into medical school. He Hopefully he's like... He's hopefully made amends with his dad to be like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know how doctors worked when I was 17. Whoops. I overreacted. My bad. (laughs) And then Jamie's father is like, Landon, by the way, Jamie did find her miracle and it was you. (laughs) And then there's some more voiceover about how Landon will always love Jamie and he'll always feel their love. So that's the story. Let's take another break and we'll come back to discuss. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Hmm. We're, I feel like we've, we've actually covered a fair amount of ground we've in talked about, actually, the recap. Yeah, we have. Since we were briefly talking about like the fathers and sons thing, I wanted to just say a little bit about that, which is, to me, it feels like the big emotional beat of this movie that's like the big like tearjerker everyone in the audience is crying is that moment where Landon goes to his dad to say thank you for paying for my girlfriend's like private home care right because he's he's crying they hug each other the music swells it like lingers on this moment for quite a while and the cinematic language tells you that that's the big cry moment I'm and then a short time later, couldn't care less. Jamie dies off screen. We only know about it via voiceover. It is not played for like that big tearjerker moment the same way. Which I'm kind of surprised. I, I, watching it back, I guess it would have really emotionally wrecked me at any age to like. <laughs> I didn't want to like see her die, but it. They do sure. wrap it up so quick. I guess I don't know. The argument there is like it goes out on a high note. Like you see her at yeah. like she's accomplished her life's goal of getting married. And and then it's like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that choice. Yeah, I just I found it really kind of bizarre that the big tearjerker beat of the movie is the like father son reconciliation rather than Mm -hmm. the death of the woman that the main character loves i feel like (laughs) the tonal shift i was saying with the leukemia was actually like more i feel like when the movie kind of became what i understand might be more like the book where you know, the book is like clear that it's coming from Landon's perspective and the book is kind of, well, Nicholas Sparks is, uh, when Nicholas Sparks spoke about writing the book, it was like he equally wanted to, like, it wasn't really about Jamie. Like when he wrote mm-hmm. the book, his thoughts right. are like, her husband was such a miracle. Like who would marry a girl they know is gonna die like this guy needs to be celebrated yeah like that's kind of where he was coming from Mm -hmm. and so I feel like that would make sense then why his big emotional opening is what's important it's like oh Jamie taught him how to feel and now he yeah feels with his dad I agree and I feel like that is like the big true or or one of the biggest tropey issues with this movie right it's like it in i mean i think even from like a screenwriting standpoint it's clearly landon's story mm-hmm. but it but it like uses the trope that it that has been in a lot of movies and stories over the over time of like a woman dies to like teach a guy how to kind of be a better person like that Mm -hmm. is ultimately the narrative function of like Jamie in this world at least and I don't mean to like you know because because I know that Nicholas Sparks sister inspired this but it's not Mm -hmm. her life story she was a different person living (laughs) in a different time who was in her late 20s not in high school you know and Mm -hmm. I feel like the way this movie was adapted clearly falls into that trope of like 
Jamie, while I feel like Jamie is like a better developed character than most young women who are put in that role. And like, there are things that I was kind of not like impressed is a little bit strong, but I was surprised mm-hmm. that there was a lot about Jamie that like she didn't do the the grease thing or the watch the like she's all that thing where she totally changed and at the end she's popular like mm-hmm. she does stay she she changes a little bit but like for the most part she's pretty consistent and like she's always church girl and she's not gonna like change what her values are and for the for the most part like I thought that was mm-hmm. like oh that's a little bit different but she still ultimately is like sacrificed and what the the takeaway feels like and now Shane West knows that he can go to med school and he doesn't need to be a high school bully and it's like well was it worth it (laughs) was it really worth it I don't know right yeah that is such a trope where the function of a lot of female characters whether or not they die depends on kind of the story but the function of a lot of the of characters it's sort of like the burden is on women to teach men how to be a good person and like how to feel feelings and stuff. I don't know too much. Like I, I do recognize this trope. I don't know too much about it like uh, scholarly, but I also feel like this kind of has to do with the religious overtones too, because I feel like the tone, it's basically like, it feels like this movie is celebrating the mercy that Landon bestows upon Jamie. And it's really about like his, like not only his transformation, but like how much he put into this relationship by being with a person with leukemia, which feels very ableist, but also like the idea of mercy, like even in the Bible, you know, women are often (laughs) literally just plot lines for male characters in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like there's also that aspect of it that like, I I guess only hearing you talk about the trope really connected the two for me. And when I was Googling, like, I was trying to find out what the genre is of like Christian movies. And Mm -hmm. the only thing I could find that was like scholarly was connecting them to the religious melodramas, like plays and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like this, uh, even though I could not find any confirmation why this was so Christian or that this isn't even seemed to be considered a Christian film, it's not on pure flicks. Um, <laughs> I just feel like it's definitely that. We have to do a pure flicks block. Ooh. I only found that from this. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, there, uh, I think, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Maggie Mae Fish has covered a couple of movies on her YouTube channel that are, I think they were originally on Pure Flix, but like Rob Schneider appears in a lot of <laughs> Pure Flix movies. Oh. There's like, it's, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's Christian Netflix, but yeah. it just sounds absolutely wild. Which I did watch, again, I went on too deep of a dive. I did watch a YouTube clip of the VHS commercials from the VHS release of this film. Um, And they did include a uh, preview for a movie that is on Pure Flix. So again, I'm like, where is this Christian money coming from? And why is it ungoogleable? Like, (laughs) it's very strange. It is, I mean, I guess I, I, I didn't go back and do the full like recap. I feel like for a very mainstream successful movie, this movie is 
unusually Christian. Mm-hmm. Where, if, you know, the further you go back in American movies, I feel like the more Christian, outwardly Christian they get and more you, like you see the themes of mercy and faith come up more often. But by the early mm-hmm. 2000s, I feel like it is kind of unusual. I don't know, but that, but I could be wrong. But you think like Saved came out after this and that yeah. is very critical of Christianity. Like I feel like that yeah. was more common by that point. I don't know. I will say that and this is coming from someone who uh, was raised as an atheist and tends to shy away from Christian media or any like entertainment that has strong Christian under or overtones. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't necessarily, I didn't mind the Christianity <laughs> in this or like the, I didn't mind the religious themes in this because None of the characters who have a strong Christian faith are using their faith to justify toxic attitudes and ideologies that some Christians have, such as, you know, homophobia, transphobia, racism, anti-choice, anti-bodily autonomy, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I'm critical of religion, it's those displays of toxicity and intolerance that I'm critical of. But we don't see any of that in this movie the characters aren't doing anything like that. They're just, you know, living their lives and not hurting anybody or being prejudiced toward anybody. But there's not really anyone to be prejudiced of, you know? Because everyone is straight at this high school. (laughs) Well, but there's also, there are maybe 20, 30 people of color, and that's not counting if they reuse background actors. Like, I think, to me, it's like, I could get into the headspace of this being... Like, I agree with you. It's not used. uh, When you were talking, it made me think of Josie and the Pussycats. Like, I feel like religion in this movie is like product placement in that, where it's like, (laughs) almost like, no, we get it. Like, we're putting it in front of there. But then because it's religious, I'm like, but wait, maybe they're like, I don't know. It feels sinister. But that might just be because... The church is weird. <laughs> I kind of I, I I agree with with what you're both saying. Where I felt like the way that Christianity was presented in this movie was pretty inoffensive. But then I was like, but maybe that's not good, you know? Because <laughs> and because this movie, I don't I don't know. And ultimately, it's it's I get kind of like lost in the sauce there because it's like either someone is not really thinking about it very hard or someone's thinking about it really hard as it in mm. the way that like Christianity is presented in this movie because I feel like it, it is it's you know like less harmful tenets that are being used in this movie of like forgiveness and like give people a chance and mm-hmm. that I mean the way that that's kind of implemented does lend itself to a lot of Shane West's toxic behavior kind of being forgiven a little right. too Christ-like yeah. maybe. But but it does, I don't, yeah, like ultimately I'm like, I, I do, I do remember recognizing that there were Christian elements to this story. Be, I think because someone else pointed it out to me. I don't think I would have gotten there on my own, but there was like a parent or someone who was just like, oh, this like churchy shit makes me sick or like whatever. But like, how did we not pick it up as a kid? It was just kind of there. Well, how how old were the two of you? Because like, that was the only thing I remembered about this movie. I was like, oh, it's the movie about the the girl with cancer and she's very devoutly Christian. Like that, that was like the main thing I remembered about this movie. I was your age, but I was, you know, 
not aware of my bisexuality at the time. (laughs) So I was just horny this whole movie and that was all I could see. I was nine, so I didn't know shit about (laughs) shit. I just wanted people kissing and singing. Uh, But but I do, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I think that there's definitely arguments for both sides of the way that Christianity is presented in this movie, Mm -hmm. where I'm glad that the negative aspects of Christianity didn't enter the plot, but also it feels bizarre to just ignore them as if they don't exist. And it's like, it's it's completely uncritical presentation of Christianity to the point where I feel like they almost like reverse a priest trope that you like when you start watching the movie you're like oh you know her her dad is by nature of his job very religious so he's going to be very oppressive and he doesn't want her to date but it turns out the reason that he doesn't want her to date is not just because he's a priest it's because he doesn't like he he, she's also sick and there's like other things going on Mm -hmm. that we don't so I feel like that the movie kind of makes the priest look better as the movie goes on because you're like oh he's not being mean because of religion he's being mean because his daughter's really sick and he doesn't know what to do like which kind of I don't know for me on this rewatch made me not be like oh it, he should be restricting his daughter's behavior but right at least it like gave some context and it wasn't just the trope of like religious dad equals controlling and oppressive the sure. more we talk about this I wonder because the first time we see the father who is the pastor at the only church in town where all the bad kids go. <laughs> How do people the, live here? What else. year is it? <laughs> no, but when we meet him, it's the mom, the line right before is the mom saying, you need a father. And she's talking about how he doesn't talk to his dad. And then it cuts to him. And now I'm just thinking like, cause Mandy Moore didn't know how to act. Apparently Shane West taught her the marker thing, but she was very natural. And this was her first film. Like, I wonder if the, in, like not intention but like I wonder if it hadn't been her would we be reading more into like how the pastor kind of becomes his father figure and like how their relationship is actually more about like both of them men like learning how to have a son learning how to have a father learning how to be family with boys Mm -hmm. and Mandy Moore was just so good at the role that she was given that that kind of got pushed aside for more of like us caring about Jamie like I feel like we as the audience care a lot more about Jamie than it feels like the script in like intended or pushed for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she really is like, I, I, I think Mandy Moore's performance does hold up in this movie. She's so Mandy Moore. Like she's yeah. just so lovely. And <laughs> you're even when the character is like kind of all over the place, you're like, I'm rooting for her. I want her to hit her mark. <laughs> I wanted to take off her scary cloak and sing a song. Um, I I agree with you, Sam. I think that, yeah, there, there are certain, I hadn't even, it hadn't even occurred to me that the priest kind of ends up taking on this fatherly role. I mean, what is the Bible, but yet another story about fathers and sons. Mm, True. (laughs) The ultimate one, maybe the father, son, and the Holy spirit is, is Mandy. (gasps) Wow. Wow. I bet that's Canon. That's gotta be Canon. (laughs) I mean, that's Catholic. Nicholas Sparks is Catholic. Cut print. <laughs> it all makes sense. And I do think that there's like, it's implied, or I feel like the story is suggesting that the reason that Shane West's character is such a rebel bad bad kid, you know, like on the wrong side of the tracks at the beginning of the movie is because his parents are divorced. Mm. There is a part where Daryl Hannah says to 
Shane West's character, she's like, you need a father. Because she's trying to Which get him like... to forgive his dad, who he's estranged with. And she's like, a boy needs a dad kind of thing. And it's Which like, I think mm. is like kind of mean to her character because she seems to be a really good mom who really cares about her son. And like, yeah. we don't the, really the only thing we know is that something's going on with her lips. Her hair is a mess, but she loves. And the other thing you know is that she loves and is very supportive of Shane West. Like Mm -hmm. the way he's acting out would not suggest that he like that the parent he lives with is very doting and caring about him. I don't know. I just thought that that was like he just friends with an evil boy. He's (laughs) friends with like a truly evil boy. That boy was really evil. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that character's name, but I don't know. He was sinister. we're talking about the guy that like later in the cafeteria he's like get away from me man like that guy we're through he's the guy yeah that broke up with shane west you're like who are you (laughs) yeah i was like who the hell is this man no idea (laughs) um what i want to make clear here is that and i don't know a whole lot about the teachings of christianity not having grown up in the church but sick (laughs) but like i want to make it clear that like there are many christians including many listeners of this podcast Mm -hmm. who because i want to avoid making any sweeping generalizations about religious people and christians specifically because again there are a lot of christians who are very tolerant and very progressive and who are the opposite of that kind of stereotypical bible thumping religious right that i think some people have come to associate Christianity with. And this is a this is like kind of one of the best depictions of Christianity because it does like you said it doesn't have any opportunities for the bad stuff. It's all just about kindness and love and coming together. It is very Christian in the true sense of the word. I think my my fascination with it just comes from not the religion and not the um not people who are religious, but from the way that the church operates, specifically the Roman Catholic Church. So that's kind of where my perspective comes in of like, it's not the word and it's not the people that are, in my opinion, that's Mm -hmm. not really where the problem lies as much as the people who are administering things and the specific, you know, we all know about the Roman Catholic Church. There's lots to be suspect of. (laughs) Right. It's more, yeah, it's the institution of religion that, or the people who use Christianity as an excuse to perpetuate their own bigotry. Like that's obviously what there is to be critical about, not the things that Jesus taught and promoted according to the Bible and not the idea of the religion itself kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like the indoctrination, which could be said of any organization. To me, that's always what's fascinating. And any organized religion too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, but there's always some sort of, indoctrination process for different organizations and that always fascinates me like how do you take a non-believer to a believer right right and it's i mean in jamie's case it's almost certainly that she just like indoctrination since birth stuff um either Mm -hmm. that or she is like there is a lot of argument for and again it's like yeah the, the 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 elements of christianity that are presented in this movie are not bad things necessarily it's like jamie is presented as this as this very like almost like a very christ-like figure who is extremely forgiving of the people Mm -hmm. around her to the point where coming from a teenager you're like huh 
like uh, <laughs> you know is is very forgiving, has faith in people's ability to grow and change in a way that most teenagers do not, mm-hmm. uh, and on and on, and then and then she's sacrificed at the end of the movie and then her love exists in the wind and i'm like she's basically the jesus of the movie mm-hmm. and i don't I hate it. it's like i do like jv's character i like her i'm rooting for her i like when i don't know even just like remembering seeing the, the movie as a kid and like watching for all of his flaws like as a kid seeing the like girl who's like a little different be asked like you don't care what people think of you and she just says no i was like that's kind of cool like even though it's maybe not the most realistic reaction right that's a cool thing to see in a movie if you're like a kind of weird kid where you're like wow this girl doesn't give a shit and like (laughs) i don't know there are things to be said for for the way her character is presented it's not hyper realistic teen shit but like nothing in this movie is right she's a superhuman christian angel sent from god to sing choir songs in the play (laughs) yeah she's not a real person i guess what i'll say is like that is how i view the movie too and i feel like it would still be that movie without the religious element so that's my only question is like it feels layered on in a way that i wonder why Mm -hmm. i wonder how religious his sister was like or how big of a part of her story that was yeah all i could find was that she did carry a bible around but like they even took the bible out of this film they made it a book full of quotes like dolly parton dolly Parton. i like the dolly parton (laughs) quote i was like wow jesus thought dolly parton was really smart (laughs) because that's what jamie said (laughs) did dolly parton fund this movie oh my god what if is dolly parton Um, christian yeah Okay. I did not know. I was like, I guess I don't know anything about her religion. Yeah. I don't know. I just other than the fact that she's Miley Cyrus's godmother. Miley Cyrus, another <laughs> Nicholas Sparks star. Oh, that's true. Which one is that? That's uh, the, the last song? Yeah. Question mark. I'm pretty sure I saw that in theaters. Is that the one Channing Tatum is in or is that a different movie? I think so. <laughs> oh, no, wait. He's I hope not. Wait, he's like kind of old for her, isn't he? No, I think that it's, isn't that how she met her, the guy that she married was through that Nicholas Sparks movie and it's Chris Hemsworth's brother. Oh, yeah, that's, it's Liam Hemsworth. Okay, so the, okay what's the Channing Tatum, oh, the Channing Tatum one is Dear John, which is him Oh, Amanda Seyfried. (laughs) God, so many white actors. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Wild. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to talk uh, really quick about a, another character slash storyline that I found baffling and maybe I'll say it not necessary mm. to the movie, which is Langdon's ex girlfriend or Landon. I keep wanting to say Langdon, <laughs> Langdon. as in Robert Langdon from <laughs> another Christian text, The Da Vinci Code. Oh my gosh, we did bring up Mona Lisa earlier, so um... I always have Da Vinci Code on the brain, baby. I'll never stop. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh the ex- the whole thing was so so the deal with the, I don't think she even came up really in the summary because she doesn't need to be in the movie. Yeah, I left her out <laughs> of the of the summary. <laughs> so her deal is, what's her name? Her name's like Barbara. Truly like, have what, no idea. No. Josephine. Um, Belinda. Is it Belinda? Oh, Belin, Belinda. Oh, yeah, it Belinda. Belinda. So 
Belinda, which again, I'm like, what year is this movie taking place in? Uh, Belinda is Shane West's ex-girlfriend who wants to get back together with him, but he's not interested. Mm -hmm. She is really forcing the issue. She gets very jealous of Jamie when it becomes clear that Shane West is interested in Jamie. Mm -hmm. She does the Photoshop prank. Yes. (laughs) Jamie's hurt. And then Belinda later apologizes to Shane West about that, Mm -hmm. but not to Jamie who is in the adjacent. I think she's like right there. Isn't she like, doesn't she apologize to Shane West for what she did to Jamie in front of Jamie's house? And it's like, no, that was his house. You need to apologize to her. Oh, okay. I was like, she needs to apologize to Jamie. All of those guys, none of them apologize to Jamie. They all apologize to him. Yeah. Right. No one apologizes to the right people in this movie because we'll get to this (laughs) later. But when we talk about like the relationship between Landon and Jamie, but she apologizes to him after he gets mad that she has cancer. Right. And she's like, I'm so sorry that I have cancer. I should have told you sooner. And he's like, it's okay. Well, that's like, no, he's not. He's like, yeah, no, you don't. You're perfect. You're 18. And then she runs away. He doesn't chase her. Instead, he drives to a mysterious city where his dad is. And then he drives into the night. And then the one person of color main character in the film, Mm -hmm. Eric, comes to check on him. The most... Like the most hypersexual racist depiction and oh, also yeah. the best, the most complex of the group and the best friend of them all, it seems. Yeah. So yeah. quick sidebar about that character. So that's Eric. <laughs> he's yeah. the, he falls into the black best friend trope because he's Landon's best friend. He is characterized in a very harmful, tropey way in which he, in basically every scene he's in, is making comments that are extremely like sexually aggressive and that's really all we know about that character Mm -hmm. so that's bad it's really (laughs) frustrating yeah it's like falling into all of the tropes of the black best friend is like we know nothing about him other than he is there to deliver you know devil's advocate views on what's going on to shane west like he'll come Mm -hmm. in and be like well well what if jamie isn't the love of your life and shane west is like never she is and he's like (laughs) all right like there he's just like (laughs) there to like he's only there to demonstrate at various scenes in the movie that shane west is changing as a character like that's right the only and Eric I guess you could argue changes a little bit where he becomes less of an asshole and less of a bully about the fact that Shane West is dating Jamie but that's such a small change that's only in relation to his friend like you know nothing about him outside of that right it's yeah it's it sucks because I don't I don't think I've seen that actor in anything else but I I enjoyed his performance I thought it was fun I read that he and Shane West made up that really long handshake that they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> which I was like, well, that's fun, I guess. That's the only time in the film that smoking is alluded to, which I thought was an interesting bad boy trope they avoided. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they do a little, like, smoking weed <laughs> thing. Uh, that actor's name is Al Thompson. He's been working pretty steadily, it seems, over the years so good for him oh okay i just i just saw his wikipedia page was a stub so and that was where my research ended (laughs) i think he does a lot of tv in mostly kind of like small bit roles kind of thing got it but yeah so i I thought like his performance was really fun and there was room to include him more meaningfully 
where he just like i don't know it's like why not get rid of the like girlfriend ex-girlfriend like evil girl side plot and mm-hmm. like make room for the best friend i like all of his scenes are enjoyable but he only exists in relation to landon right like i agree the girl i didn't even know she was an ex-girlfriend until i looked on wikipedia um <laughs> i just knew that she was some girl who wanted to be with him somehow um yeah. mm-hmm. one thing i noticed that i don't i i might just be drawing a string to nowhere but did you notice how when she does apologize she's wearing a pink sweater just like the one that he gave jamie <gasps> whoa. whoa i didn't did not notice that i don't know if that's like her signal like now she's a good person too or whatever everyone who wears a pink sweater is a good person <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh. God. So back to the Jamie d- does apologize to Shane though. So after that scene where he's talking to Eric and they like have a little bit of a reconciliation. I think that's the that part of the movie. But then Jamie comes up to Landon as he's like fixing his Camaro and she's like, "I'm sorry. I should have told you sooner." And he's like, "Shrug. Let's kiss." <laughs> and it's like, "Why are you apologizing, Jamie?" No. Yeah. Anyway, it's so. it was that's like another one of the more obvious like ableist scenes where it's like you ditched her you didn't support her when she was like coming out with this big news and now you're like she makes a joke like something about dying does anybody remember yeah she Mm -hmm. says he's like are you scared and she says to death yeah and And then he's he's all mad jeez and he she's like lighten up i'm the one who's dying (laughs) i can joke about this if i want she's like can you chill for a second So anyway, so that was on a tangent of no one apologizing to Jamie. Right. When it's she's owed several apologies, but everyone's like, oh, she's she's so Christ like she'll forgive. I guess I'll just apologize to a random person who has nothing to do with the situation (laughs) or I'll make her apologize to me for some reason. Like, right. It is it is frustrating. And I feel like that is like one of the something we haven't really gotten to yet is just like especially in the early days of this relationship, just like how toxic and fraught this relationship is from the jump and how Mm. Jamie's extreme willingness to forgive and belief that people can change absolves him of this behavior in a way that he never really meaningfully apologizes for where at the beginning of the like for the whole first like half hour of the movie before he's like okay I want to be in this play and I want to like work with you up into that point he is like mean to her he's like I know I've known you my whole life but I don't I don't give a shit about you essentially (laughs) and then once he realizes oh I do like her he comes the most like the moment that I didn't remember in the movie that I was like, how dare you was when he goes to her house and asks her to be his friend, but in secret. So he can still be popular. Yeah. I was like the fucking nerd. Like that for (laughs) me is where I'm like, no matter how forgiving a person I am, I'm tapping out right there. That is, that is a horrible thing to do to even attempt to do. It's also like you said, like what time period are we in? Like I could see in the fifties, a guy asking that, like, you know how it is. I'm the popular guy. I don't know. I'm. I don't know what voice that was, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm the popular kid. We all know the rules of the high school. Like, I feel like that would have been much more 1950s, where it's like, you know, this relationship. It's so common to us, but not in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I'm glad that Jamie tells him to fuck off in that moment, and she's like, 
Ew, no. But but the fact that he still gets a second chance without really apologizing and just by being like, hey, I've decided to be your friend publicly. Like, that is very <laughs> warranting of a second fuck you. But she's like, okay, let's try it, you know? Yeah. But she's Jesus, so it's hard. Right. And he's like, but I got you this sweater. Everything's fine now, right? <laughs> um, we talked about this on the Beauty and the Beast episode and other episodes, but, like, the the idea of, like, the burden of forgiveness often in a, like, hetero romantic context is often placed on the woman to forgive the man for Mm -hmm. his often toxic bad behavior which again we see a lot of in this movie where for the first several of their interactions he's really mean to her he makes fun of her he's like "Ooh, you're carrying around this bible you loser with your one sweater you like stars and planets gross like (laughs) he's like bullying her for the randomest shit he's like how dare you have an interest in astronomy i'm like i've never seen someone bullied for this before this is interesting (laughs) and i like that she's like yeah sure i'm the pastor's daughter but but science does exist i was like ooh, okay movie not 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 too bad and then there's that scene where he even after he starts to fall for her he comes at her after school and like tells her how she feels yeah and then plot wise that ends up being that he's right where he's like you're hiding behind religion and astronomy and all this (laughs) stuff like he just names all of her interests and it's like and that's what you're doing instead of admitting that you're in love with me and then and then she's like wait a minute maybe he's on to something and we're like what right i'm just like oh you can like things and have a crush on an asshole I was going to say, again, coming from the horny lens that I first viewed this in, it was like, I don't care. He's hot. And now he's into me. Like, I feel like my my horny brain doesn't doesn't register. And I do feel like this movie, one of the reasons I want to talk about it was just because, like, the thing you're saying about forgiveness coming from the woman. I feel like a lot of tropes that are in this movie can contribute to like toxic masculinity in the way that a boy would interpret it and i know with the guy who my that first boyfriend that was obsessed with this movie mm-hmm. you know had a lot of the toxic romantic kind of ideas of like no i'm making the romance for you, you know i broke up with him and he did not take it well like i guess mm. trigger warning but nothing happened but um mm. you know just like how this is the perfect this the way the tropes are in this movie are like the perfect timeline and the perfect way it could go but a lot of the habits that are being re- reinforced you know can be used in a toxic way in other situations totally mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then another one that i mean we haven't specifically defined but something that happens is that he bas- he just wears her down the way that we've seen in tons and tons of movies and this seems to be a nicholas sparks thing that he recycles over and over again because yeah he's writing very popular heterosexual love stories there's probably a lot of that going on but that's like the notebook oh gosh 101 so we see that with the landon character she keeps saying no we can't be friends you've treated me badly leave me alone and then he keeps coming back around and basically trying to sweeten her up with gifts and friendship and it's like what get away 
quick comment was when he was first trying to get back in her good graces after I forget what thing he did, but where he was like bringing her flowers, obviously every day I was just like, okay, you know, this girl is dying and now you've made her house look like a memorial. Like <laughs> take a step back, maybe think it through Landon. <laughs> like she's not dead yet. She's not think dead it yet. Through. <laughs> right. Cause there are, okay. So there are kind of two separate times where he needs to, or he's trying to redeem himself. The first time when he realizes he likes her and he's actually trying to get with her, then they get together and they profess their love for each other. And then when she tells him, I have leukemia, I'm dying, and he flips his shit about Mm -hmm. it and is like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? You owed telling me this. And then he like storms off. And then we don't even know how she reacts to that because the movie does not check in with her at all during this period. We just watch right. him brooding for like <laughs> He's just driving 10 around. minutes of screen time. <laughs> mad at his dad for not knowing the cure to cancer. <laughs> right. And then when he finally does come back around, he talks to her dad. He doesn't even talk mm-hmm. to her at first. He's just like, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere tell Jamie can can you pass along the message it's like well can you talk to her face to face and apologize to her but instead of that happening when they do finally come face to face she's the one to apologize to him and it's just like are you joking me right now so well plus her dad was also in that like telling her like you got to tell him before it's too late like obviously that messaging was not just coming from landed it was coming from the people around her right well that's like part of what i find frustrating about the love story in this movie because it's not like i don't know i i it's not like you can't in life start with like you know i how do i want to phrase this i feel like this this movie could have been an interesting opportunity to write someone someone's behavior meaningfully changing in a way that could have felt authentic and also could have like been sort of a character map for young <laughs> for young people who yeah especially young men watching this movie because it's not like even in the context of the movie I don't doubt at any point that Landon cares about Jamie and I don't doubt that you know that teenage boys very often are deflective towards people that they're attracted to especially in a hetero context and like whatever it's like that's something that I experienced in high school is like mm-hmm. someone I had a crush on not being nice to me and then like having to apologize and over time like maybe a a friendship builds but it's Mm -hmm. like you have to especially with like movies for young people I feel like it there is some responsibility to like really track that journey in a way that is responsible and not just like randomly putting the onus on Jamie to be the world's most forgiving person and I don't think that it's like impossible if this story were written differently or or a little more deliberately, I don't think it would be impossible to get Landon from the beginning of the story to a place where maybe he has meaningfully earned Jamie's trust, but that's just like not how we see the story play out Mm -hmm. or it's, or it's very choppy uh, in the way it plays out. I do wonder how much, how much that has to do with her maybe not being available Like, I know that she's a teen, so she can only work 10 hours a day, Mm -hmm. and they shot this in 39 days. So I wonder, like, at first I was like, I think this has to go back to the, you know, kind of Christian ethics that they're displaying in this, where it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense for that storyline to really get into Jamie. But also Mm -hmm. maybe Mandy Moore just had to bounce 
one day. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it does seem like after her leukemia diagnosis, like, she has that scene in the bed. But really, she's kind of gone from the movie at that point. She's, like, not an active right. part. Like, she only says, like, thank you for, thank your dad. And, like, oh, look at this comet. And then does she, she doesn't even say I do. She just, like, hugs him and then they're married. <laughs> Right? Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Are, did they even get married? Uh, <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, why aren't we checking in to see, like, how she feels about, like, she knows that she's dying. Like, and there's a part where she says something like, I don't need a reason to be angry with God. Like, can we yeah. explore? That's a cool, like, that's an interesting thing to bring up of, like, a crisis of faith for a a priest's daughter like and it's all set up but instead yeah i feel like the movie diverts and ends up focusing on boring landon side plots (laughs) that no one gives a shit about because it should be a movie that's about her and not about him right i i hate to keep bringing up religion but again like that is very jesus like like jesus had crisis of faith but he never lost the faith he would just be like uh dad what's up with this (laughs) god damn it yeah Uh, yeah I don't know it's it's like Jamie is perfect to a fault but the mo- the moments that you see her human side is, the movie doesn't seem interested in exploring when it's like <laughs> watching it back this time those are the most interesting moments where mm-hmm. she is affected by how people treat her and she is angry that she is is dying and like there there are like she does have these really human emotions but then she yeah i guess like in in the christ-like way you're describing sam she just kind of like transcends them off screen then it's like and it's all and it's all good and shane west went to medical school at the end (laughs) (sighs) right so yeah i don't know it's it's but i still like it i don't know and there's um I wanted to go through the uh, production, the people behind this production. Yes. So there is people we've discussed on the show before. There is a female screenwriter here. Her name's Karen Jansen. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is another Denise DeNovi movie who I know has come up on this show a lot. She, She seems so interesting. Yeah. She was like a millennial childhood shaper big time. She, I think we (laughs) talked about her kind of extensively because she got both Little Women's, the Winona one and the Greta Gerwig one made. But a quick rundown in case you forgot who Denise is. Uh, Some some of the hits, Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas, both of the Little Women's, Practical Magic, Walk to Remember, What a Girl Wants, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, New York Minutes, failed Mm -hmm. Mary-Kate Nashley movie, (laughs) uh, and Crazy Stupid Love, which we just discussed on the show. Right. So... She's behind a a lot, a lot, a lot of big movies. And even, I mean, a lot lot of them are movies that are specifically marketed at teen girls. Mm -hmm. But I feel like A Walk to Remember even stands out in her catalog because it seems like the only kind of aggressively Christian movie in this this catalog. Mm -hmm. And then I just wanted to shout out the the director of this movie, uh, an openly gay director who was openly gay at the time of this movie, uh, started as a choreographer, then switched into directing, also directed uh, The Wedding Planner. Uh, which we've covered on Many, the Matreon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The Hairspray, the 2007 one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just directed What Men Want, which Ooh, everyone okay. didn't like. <laughs> and uh, he is also directing something that I wasn't aware existed, which is a sequel to Enchanted. <gasps> oh, 
going on? <laughs> Starring Amy Adams. Wow. The final fun fact about the director, whose name is Adam Shankman, which I don't think I've said, um, is that he officiated Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr.'s wedding. Wow. Isn't that fun? Wow. I know. They're also still married. I, they've been married for 20 years. They're oh in that gosh. dishwasher commercial. They're, what? <laughs> Are they? Yeah. What? There's a dishwasher commercial where they're like making a bunch of innuendos about doing it every night. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, we run our dishwasher every night. It saves water. And I think like, that I, and this, I don't, hopefully this is, but like, I think I can, I confuse their marriage with Carson Daly and Tara Reid a lot because it's like brunette guy, <laughs> oh. blonde lady, and Carson Reed, Carson, whatever. That other relationship definitely didn't last, but it was a big mm-hmm. deal. Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller, three names, you know, six names between the two of them. It's <laughs> destined to last. Yeah, of course. I hope they're washing dishes right now. <laughs> also, that's really, I'm like, they have, how many years has it been since they've done a dish? Let's be real. <laughs> Seriously. They use a dishwasher. <laughs> right, that, that's true. That's because they use the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another quick behind the scenes thing. This movie was edited by a woman, Ooh. Emma E. Hickox. Shout out to Emma. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say, we called attention to this, I think, in the recap. But there is a surprise kiss in this movie that's a really, really sneaky surprise kiss because I didn't even realize it was a surprise kiss until my second rewatch. But it's when in the play... Landon kisses Jamie after she sings her song. Yeah. And I originally just thought that that was like a scripted part of the play that the high school student playwright wrote into the thing. But then I picked up on a line that the playwright says on my second rewatch where he's like, "Ooh, interesting rewrite you did there, Landon. And it's like, (laughs) oh, he's referring to the kiss yeah he surprise kissed her on stage in front of everybody which i do feel like mandy acted out the way you would a actual surprise kiss like she didn't seem psyched yeah there is a look of shock and surprise on her face which i i guess just chalked that up to like oh this is probably her first kiss ever and that's why she's reacting that way but then i was like oh wait no that was a surprise kiss and she wasn't expecting it and he just used the school play as an excuse to kiss her also i feel like the cringiest part of this movie for me is when he's like uh 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 when she takes off her cloak to me that was the most (laughs) uncomfortable moment (laughs) he forgot all of his lines so (laughs) ridiculous this whole i mean the fact and that was like i think one of the closer moments to like a true tropey like wow i didn't realize that mandy moore is very like western beauty standards beautiful before Mm -hmm. she (laughs) removed this cloak like (laughs) what are you doing um anyways (laughs) yeah um does anyone have anything else they would like to talk about i have two quick things i Mm. just i appreciated that the music they use the music to indicate bad kids, you know, in a very old man kind of way. Mm. The first, the first, the whole first scene up until when the bullied kid gets there, I could barely hear because the music was blaring so loud. Yeah. And then that's a recurring theme with Landon wearing blasting headphones. And it just seemed like a get off my lawn kind of person that indicated that part of the script that made me 
Made me laugh. Right, because the the bad boy kids like their heavy metal rock and roll music. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of, you know, a lot of the, with that scene where they're flipping the radio thing, it's like, no mercy, like, just like, still biblical, Mm -hmm. but like the bad side of it. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. He's, yeah, he's listening to his devil music, and she's (laughs) listening to her god music. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only other thing was that, oh. Two things. One, also in the VHS commercials, there was a commercial for uh, AOL Online. And in the trailer for this film, it does have like below the rating, like AOL keyword, a walk to remember for when we still didn't know how to search things. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was a nice time capsule. (laughs) It was a simpler time. 2002. My last thing was that I kept reading about how this film was released in theaters but then also released in a family edited version. And I could not find what that means. Like what was edited out of this version Um, (laughs) for the family edited version. Maybe the the handshake between Landon and Eric where they reference smoking weed. I was wondering if they just edited out that guy and made it a fully white cast. Oh, right. Because he's always making... Again, very sexually aggressive comments yeah. and jokes. So yeah, maybe they just eliminated that character altogether. I guess Whoa. just if your fans can sound off, that was it. It still bugs me. I just want to know what is what was edited out. Yeah, that's true. I'm curious. Yeah, this has <sighs> to be the kind of movie. This this movie, I can't. I wonder. It's hard, it's hard to describe how you, it's like that. Like. I know it when I see it kind of thing. But you can tell when a movie, when a lot hit the cutting room floor. And this movie seems like the kind of movie where a lot hit the cutting room floor. They did say that they did a lot of cuts to make sure it was PG, not PG-13. One of Mm -hmm. which was cutting uh, Shane singing to Mandy in the hospital, Only Hope, which I would like to hear. How did that make it PG-13? Is that too sexy? No, they said it made it too depressing. Oh. It was too sad. Oh, okay. Uh I thought it was like in a PG-13 movie, you can only say shit or fuck once. (laughs) And you can also only sing Only Hope once. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Or it's adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was all I had. All right. Well, I believe the movie on some technicalities passes the Bechdel test, but... I think that the bullying, it's only, it only passes in scenes where Jamie is being actively bullied, which now that we've talked it through, (laughs) is a, like, narratively significant thing that Mm -hmm. happens. It's just sad. Yeah. (laughs) I think it is, I think the passing is literally just a Photoshop scene when Belinda has to, like get her to follow her to the cafeteria right and then like we see jamie almost make a female friend and then actually no she's not allowed to have any female friends yeah sorry jamie actually i remember the lines now it was like jamie you would look really pretty with makeup here come with me do you want a tic tac (laughs) oh my god it really is like the one of the worst passes we've ever had tic tac is even a neg (laughs) right she's basically like your face is bad your breath is bad (laughs) come with me so that i can keep bullying you yeah Yeah, come to the table so i can keep bullying you with all my cool friends also like do like 14 people go to that school that just all of it's so bizarre i feel like i saw 14 kids that went to the entire school and all of them hate jamie (laughs) you know jamie does seem to have a friend who is the 
other co-star of the school play. Oh, yeah. But we don't know that character's name, I don't even think. We don't know anything about her. She barely says anything. Let Jamie have a friend. Seriously. I did love how her friend was like the perfect drama nerd. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Highly identifiable. And it's like, that seems like, and you would think that like, it seems like Jamie is kind of like well-liked by the drama club. We have no reason to think that she isn't. So it's like, why can't we see her thriving outside of this relationship with Shane West a little bit? And also you would, now that I'm like, wouldn't they have visited her as she was dying? They appeared to be her friends. Right. I I will say it sounded like she had kept her diagnosis secret from everyone outside of her father. That's true. So by the wedding, do they know she's sick? I don't know. I mean, they know because of the gossip. Like Shane West kind of blew up her privacy. <laughs> right, because all all his friends find out about it. God damn it. Because they all come around and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was such a jerk before. Yeah. I know that my personal experience, not with cancer, but with like major injuries and stuff is like I did have a tendency to isolate. I still do. Mm-hmm. Also could be depression and stuff. But like that's like me inferring that is her reasoning it isn't the only thing we know from the movie is that she was like i found out two years ago i didn't want people to treat me weird and i was cool until i met you right right ah so much unexplained right but if yeah but if we knew more about her character or saw things more from her point of view we would have a better sense of what the circumstances were there so we just don't know yeah because we don't even know she was really unpopular the popular kids just didn't like her Right. But it's like, yeah, it's it's you can be disliked by popular kids and still be the coolest kid in the drama club. Like (laughs) or that star club that she ran. Right. That we saw that one scene. (laughs) Well, that kind of like brings us to the nipple scale, because Mm. I I feel like ultimately for me, uh, this movie would have worked a lot better for me if it had been centered around her and not Landon. You don't even need to get rid of Landon. For my, I'm like, okay, it's a hetero teen romance, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. but but there's no reason other than the movie, the story is being told by Nicholas Sparks's authorial voice that the story is being told by Landon at all. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be told by him. He can be there, but it can't be his story. I don't know. Right. Which, again, it makes her, her burn, his sister's burn so much. Like, <laughs> I don't want you telling the world about my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to read this interpretation you had of me. Ay, ay, ay. So mm. shall we, shall we, shall we bust out that nipple scale? Let's do it. Zero to five nipples based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. I'm going to give this movie, I don't know, like a one and a half, maybe a two, maybe somewhere split in the middle of that I don't know it's it's not high it really adheres to a lot of the tropes of like the teen romance genre of like a boy negging and being cruel to a girl and wearing her down when he does decide that she's worthy of him and then falling in love and still being shitty to her a lot of the time and mm-hmm. yeah, the fact that, like you said, Jamie, it's that it's told from his point of view, even though he doesn't have an interesting perspective on this narrative at all. And I would much rather right. learn, like, know about what a like very devoutly Christian girl 
how she feels about having a terminal illness that's a way more interesting story i don't give a shit about landon mm. like, <laughs> anyway so yeah i think there's a lot of missteps at least though it doesn't fall into the territory of like a million racist and homophobic jokes that get made in a lot of comparable movies of this era but like obviously that bar is so low that like the movie doesn't deserve to be congratulated for not doing that right but that but that's why i was like oh it's not as problematic as i thought it was going to be they compressed it all into that one person of color into eric yeah exactly um justice for eric justice for eric (laughs) so yeah that it's it's not the worst example we've seen, but it's certainly not great. So I'll give it, I'll give it one and a half nipples. I'll give one nipple to Jamie Loftus. I was going to say this episode uh, <laughs> has been very stressful for me overall because I keep being like, "What?" <laughs> um, and I'll get also I'll give one nipple to you, Jamie, and my half nipple you. to. And I wait. How does the song go? And I lay my head I'm thinking of listening to this and we're all singing it in wildly different keys and they're like <laughs> I'm gonna have to like edit it so it like actually syncs up because I, I think yeah, we're could you please pitch correct all three of us that we're singing there yeah of course I'll uh, I'll, I'll put some auto-tune <laughs> <laughs> onto at least my voice because I have the worst singing voice. Um, yeah, so that amazing song gets my half nipple, and uh, yeah, one and a half. Yeah, I'll 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 do one and a half as well. I feel like, uh, and I I agree with where you're coming from, Caitlin. I feel like this movie like shouldn't be congratulated for what it dodges. I think the truly the one thing that I felt like oh this movie seems to be intentionally dodging this trope is the fact that uh jamie doesn't get this big makeover at any point her Mm -hmm. core you know she doesn't do a like sandy from greece thing where she just like her personality changes and at the end all of the asshole popular kids think she's cool and you're like why are we here um but you know like jamie retains her core values and qualities and is loved for them which i feel like is a generally more positive message than most teen movies were giving us at that time for sure that is i think like the main strength of the movie Mm -hmm. which i think i read was the director's hard choice like he made that a strong rule. Like mm. I don't want to do a reveal. I don't want to do Adam Shankman. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that makes me really happy. Like, yeah, I, I, I totally. I mean, we've, we've, I think criticized this movie pretty <laughs> from a lot of angles. Um, ultimately, I, I, it holds up way better than I thought it would. This will not be the last time I watch this movie. It feels it's just like a very comfort movie to watch and yeah you know her dream is to get married gross whatever (laughs) right i wish that we had seen a more uh, a better characterization of landon's character and that it wasn't so centered around him because outside of the fact that it's not really fair to jamie's character it also like everything else going on in landon's life is really boring to me and i don't care (laughs) about him and his father except i love the scene where he's mad at his father for not knowing the cure to cancer that's hilarious but i don't care it's also another example of like a male redemption story and not that those can't be done well and aren't valuable but 
I don't think this was done well. Yeah. Nor was this redemption earned to me. So I think it could have been earned, which is kind of frustrating. Uh, it could have been earned, but it wasn't right. the way that the story plays out. But iconic Mandy Moore performance. Love her. Love her high school soprano voice. That is literally a voice you would hear on stage in a high school is Mandy Moore style. Like mm-hmm. she is not singing from the diaphragm at all. Like it is. It is. I love it. Those were some of the things my voice teacher was trying to correct. Me from. <laughs> right. right. They're like, try not to sound like Mandy Moore. <laughs> but it's so easy to sound. If you just, I don't know. I highly recommend Mandy Moore is one of my favorite karaoke go tos because it's so easy and it's mm. so effective. Oh, sure. So I'm going to give it one and a half and I'll give one to Jamie Sullivan and mm-hmm. then I'll give the other half to Daryl Hannah's wig oh yes good <laughs> Sam what about you yeah I mean I still on this viewing where I also did you know an obsessive deep dive um, I'm really just taking away and wanting to rewatch the film again from the lens of you know the brother of a dying woman who's obsessed with her husband who's going out of his way to marry a dead person. I feel like that, or dying person. Um, I feel like that really makes everything make a little more sense. Um, and I, you know, I, I am going to go high. I'm going to give it two nipples. And I'm going to give those nipples to every person who got horny during this movie as a kid or as an adult or whatever. Um, because I do feel like, you know, I, I don't know how I feel as an adult in the entertainment industry about there being real chemistry between a 16, 17 year old and a 23 year old, but it is, yeah. it is palpable. And it, for me, it, it was a big uh, bisexual awakening and I can't imagine I'm the only one. <laughs> sure. You're I, not. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just that the industry should not present opportunities for that to be the case. For a yeah, right. underage actor and a of age actor, that should never be a thing where they're on screen together in a romantic context. Yep, and where the crew is, you know, aware there, everyone's aware of a romance forming IRL and not inhibiting that because yeah. it helps the performance. Right. So if you had an awakening, it's not your fault, It's but it is the fault of the production for making those casting choices. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> a walk to maybe, remember. Maybe it will make you feel better to know that this movie made Mandy Moore get back into her religion. So if you're feeling guilty about her horniness, mm. it seems like she might have... She got, got she got too horny and then she's like I need to go I need to find God again. <laughs> yeah. She wasn't the horniness didn't take her down a wicked path. I love Great. Mandy Moore. <laughs> I hope she's not shitty because I just oh I love her. Although she was famously for a while watching me sleep, which I didn't care for. <laughs> that's but. kind of that's kind of mean. And she's never apologized for that, mm-hmm. which I do think is very telling of her character. <laughs> I did very briefly meet her one time. She did a show at Nerd Melt. Oh. And I saw her and showed her where the green room was. 
so was she nice she was very nice she seems so nice to me in that moment so that (laughs) means she's nice to everyone all the time forever (laughs) that is how that works (laughs) yep Uh, thank you so much for being here, Sam. This was such a blast. I'm so glad we did this yes. movie. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here. This is one of my favorite podcasts, and I oh. love having these discussions IRL or on pod. And I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to <laughs> kind of process this film now as an adult. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Come on back. <laughs> oh, uh, wait. I had one more uh, connection to Titanic. Oh, Um, yes. So we have the hot car. We have somebody dying slowly. And yeah, Switchfoot mentions Titanic. Those are my three. Okay, got it. Yeah. It's canon. Well, there's... I would say there aren't enough Titanic connections in this movie, but... That's just me. Yeah, I could have, I could have stood to to have a couple more, and there was room for it in the. Yeah, they were, they were like, weren't they seaside or somehow, there were boats. I mean, some, there were mm-hmm. there were boats. There's water. They go into the water. They belly. Some characters belly flop into the water in both movies. <laughs> there is there are there are near near fatal belly flops, and there's a and there's a a, a wearing down relationship that we're rooting mm-hmm. for. So and who is Belinda but Cal Hockley played by Billy Zane? Wow, wow. makes you think. <laughs> makes you think. Billy Zane should have been in this movie. <gasps> Alfred Molina could have played the priest dad. No offense, Peter Coyote, <laughs> but he's already played a. He was a priest in Chocola, so I guess he was like, I've <gasps> no, done that. wait, no, he was the mayor in Chocola. He was a priest in Please. the Da Vinci Code. Back to Da Vinci. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Langdon, Langdon, the Da Vinci Code is Apple. <laughs> never forget. Never the forget. The Da Vinci Code was the word Apple. God, I'm never, I'm never gonna get over that. Sorry. Uh, Sam, where can people follow you online and check out your stuff? Yeah, I do live events, online events this last year, but you know, as things start to open, maybe more uh, live events in New York and LA. As it's safe. My shows, my website is nakedcomedy.org. My Twitter is at naked underscore comedy. My Insta is at naked comedy. And yeah, support me if you can. I try to do inclusive shows of people from all backgrounds. I try to make sure that my performers are paid. And I just am a solo entrepreneur trying to make a modest very modest living while supporting my fellow uh, comedy friends because comedy inspires me. Yay, <laughs> truly one of the greatest in the game. Also, to be clear, just to set the record straight, I named Naked Comedy after Naked Juice, so it's like authentic. So just oh. so if you're like, who's this Naked Comedy chick like criticizing Christianity and talking about being horny? Actually, that's <laughs> not that's not the vibe of all my stuff. <laughs> yeah uh you can find us online on all of the platforms on twitter on instagram not on tiktok and probably never on tiktok Mm. honestly i don't Mm. i refuse to download another application so simply can't you can find us on bechtel cast on instagram and twitter you can sign up for our patreon aka matreon in which you will get two bonus episodes a month for only a, a mere five dollars, and there's almost a uh, hundred episodes hanging out there mm. uh, on on the Matreon. There's a, 
out. There's a lot going on. I appreciate when you guys release a few Matreon episodes to the free feed. I didn't know that the that the Matreon was primarily recorded in bed. I feel like that's mm. a big selling point. <laughs> I hopefully we can get back we can get back there because we yeah. it's been a year since we've recorded Matreons in Caitlin's bed specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but you know we'll get back there. It's been a really long time, but it's been eighty four years. It's been eighty four <laughs> years, and we can still smell the fresh paint. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll be here next week. Bye bye. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.